Rick Madison and Scott Lanigan, chair of Central Okanagan Journey Home Society, delve into the problems surrounding Kelowna's homelessness issue and interview community stakeholders to discover possible solutions. Hi, it's Rick Madison here with Scott Lanigan, and we have a special guest, which is Mark Burley, Executive Director of what association, sir? Downtown Kelowna Association. Oh, the very heartbeat Short of Kelowna. Short form is DKA. I just wanted to throw that out there in case people didn't know. Yeah, well, way to go with the acronyms. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so we are, of course, this podcast is all about homelessness, and downtown has been affected by this, this issue. And what we wanted to talk about is... Uh, in conversation, Mark, we were talking about an event that happened between July and November 2019. Do you want to just share why that was such a pivotal moment for downtown and for stakeholders in the city around homelessness? Well, what happened was, and it's, it's you know, people still talk about it today, is very slowly, starting second week of July, a tent city started to grow on the 200 block of Leon in front of where Sapphire is and where Habitat was across the road from the Gospel Mission. And then it grew on either side of uh, Kelowna Gospel Mission and up the street. And that happened slowly over the summer. And once we saw this going on, uh, we ended up getting together in a committee of sorts with bylaw, with uh, the city of Kelowna, uh, the RCMP and various other organizations downtown who were seeing what was going on and what was happening. And so what we ended up doing is the team of us, of all those organizations, would be there every morning between 9 and 9.30, and we'd clean the street. Uh, if you were not used to it, it would be pretty daunting when you turn the corner off of Abaddon to Leon to drive through that, because that's what you felt like, because... As the tents were on the sidewalks, then they started to grow onto the street, and it narrowed it, and there were parking spaces taken up, that kind of thing. So that whole thing, that whole event, happened right up until November when the city moved all those people who are camping outside over to Recreation Avenue beside the curling club on the Ball Diamond there and at Knox Mountain Park. Well, Knox Mountain never got busy, but Recreation did. So that was the event that I think was a turning point for all of downtown because it was right at the beginning of uh, the mandate for Journey Home. It was right at the beginning of new staff like Darren Call who'd come into the city to take over this portfolio. And out of that, we developed relationships that continue to this day that benefit us and help us get in front of any problems that do happen to come up. So I think that was a very pivotal moment, not only for downtown, but for the city as a whole, because we all learned to work together. And I, for one, know that bylaw and the police and the city don't only work with downtown Kelowna. They work all over the city. So. It probably helps to know first names of, of people you were dealing with through that crisis and be able to call them or email them and get pretty instant response, I would think. Yeah, it is. You're right. You know, there's always that when you first started anything and you shoot off an email to a name that you've been provided or you've only met once, you wonder, are you going to get a response? But what happens, you start to shake hands at the side of the road because you could do that then. And 
exchange business cards and I'm pretty fastidious about once I get a card, I put that information into my contact list and everybody's text friendly now. So you're, you're, you can reach out to a person instantaneously. You and I do that, Rick. You know, so it's... I try and avoid that at all costs with Rick, Mark. <laughs> yeah, because it's continuous. Totally. Isn't it? yeah. At all hours, really. <laughs> so my, my other question is, maybe we should back up a little bit. So tell me, tell the listeners about your role and how big, how big is your, uh, is downtown as far as your mandate is concerned? Well, we're 44 square blocks, roughly rounded out by Richter and Abbott and Water and Ethel and Harvey for, you know, to put it in a square box. It's not quite that. Um, So we're responsible for that area. Within downtown Kelowna, like many cities in Canada, all the services that come, like health services, mental health services, drug addiction services, uh, safe injection, all those things tend to be centered around downtown. And for a lot of people who live on the street, those services are very valuable. There's also interior health outreach, for example, downtown, that helps way more people than it does that are homeless on the street. But still, that service is downtown. And it tends to attract people who live on the street. And shelters as well. There's a number of shelters, winter uh, emergency shelters that are focused downtown as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the city, no city in B.C. can stop a person from camping be if they don't have enough supportive beds for those people and in the winter time that's why extra shelters are added to try and add more beds so that people don't end up sleeping outside now they can designate an area where they are allowed to camp and that's what happened out of mm. the uh july through november thing in 2019 mark you know many people have well, you know, I think each of us have different responses when we see someone uh, on the street that would, uh, you know, present as homeless. And uh, for some, it's it's I avoid, I'll walk around. Others, it's, uh, you know, perhaps an opinion that's been formed of whether that person can work or not work, or maybe there's addictions, or maybe they're panhandling. You know, when you saw that uh, situation, uh, you, you, you talked about the fact that it was this coming together of, of community partners and mm-hmm. sector. What caused you to kind of step into it as a poise to avoid it? Well, I've, first of all, I've worked downtown uh, since 2005. So I'm not like uh, homeless people, panhandlers, people who are addicted and high, not unfamiliar. I mean, I've dealt with that. The parking lot that was where I parked my car sometimes was a bit dicey uh, when I first got there. But um, you know what? I think more than anything, first of all, it was really dirty. Uh, it was messy. The, uh, the, some people from the city would drop off couches and love seats and mattresses and all this stuff, and it's just unhealthy. So that's where our first concern came, was with cleanliness, not only for the city and the downtown core as a whole and the businesses that operate in that area, but for the people who've decided to live there. So it was, it was dirty, it was smelly, um, and it was unhealthy. So, you know, it's, you, you know, if you have half a heart, you've got to roll up your sleeves and dive in and help out. That's what we did. So the, the interesting thing is uh, the RCP have just recently added uh, more foot patrols to downtown, which is, of course, wonderful news. How does that work with uh, what I call the red shirts? I mean, they're, <laughs> I love calling them the red shirts. Everybody they, does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what is, 
you know, is there a, is there a lot of communication between the foot patrol? Like, is there okay? So you guys are going to walk that 200 block, and we're going like, is there any kind of that going on, or is it just kind of be as visible as we can? That would be right. Be as visible as we can, but downtown on call teams, RCMP, bylaw to a certain extent, plus the uh, commissioners with the cities that's the city's security service, tend to be where the problems are. Uh, and they're pretty predictable. Uh, we have a system called GeoPal for the downtown on-call guys. Every call they do, they enter it in their phone. So we're able to analyze that data and see where the hotspots are. A hotspot could be all of a sudden we're seeing a lot of used needles that we have to, sharps that we have to pick up. And our teams are trained on how to do that and dispose of them. So that's what happens. Uh, but just like I've developed these relationships through July through November in 2019, uh, the downtown call team have first name relationships with police officers, bylaw, and for that matter, the people who live on the street. So maybe give listeners a bit of an overview of what what is their role in regards to a situation downtown? Because I'm sure, I mean, I witnessed one and I thought they handled it very, very well, which was they just basically stood back tried talking to the gentleman who was having a, an issue, and obviously he was, you know, there's some mental illness there. But it seems like, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if there's a total definition around what is their actual role. Is it to enforce? Is it to warn? Like, what, what is their actual role? Well, their role has gone through a significant amount of scope creep over the years um, into, for a while, into areas that they really aren't equipped to handle or educated or trained or whatever. But what the downtown on call team does is we have, uh, most of the businesses downtown know they can call 470-9058 and they get right into a team member. Um, and if they're having a problem. So how it started was for safe walks at night. I used to take advantage of that when I worked at the station for my nighttime, uh, on air people to walk to their cars. Um, and that safe walks for people doing bank deposits, those kinds of things, and just basically as a concierge for downtown. That has morphed into more of a security role, and basically what you just described is exactly what the downtown on-call team's role is. Usually they're the first people there because it does take the police a little while to get to and from or get to a call. Um, so they will get there first, but they're non-confrontational, they're non-physical, and they will always back off as soon as the police get there. Um, so it's funny because downtown call will get called first a lot of times when the police should. And we're actually encouraging with you know certain events, call the police first, then give us a call. And they're not particular to uh, the homeless uh, situation, right? Oh, it's, no. it's a broad scope that I'm sure you get calls for. Oh, yeah, for sure. We get we get calls for everything. And you know what? Crime isn't exclusively left to uh, homeless people. You know, some people have to realize that. So we're heading into summer months, and you've got a big announcement that we'll cover at the end. But uh, June, July, August, does, do things change for your office very much? Because obviously we, you know, with uh, Bonnie Henry's new reopening plan, um, we have probably going to have some more Albert, Alberta plates more tourism. Does that change your office? Does that change the focus on homelessness much for your office? Uh, not really. What? Well, yes and no. Um, 
first of all, we've always operated within a certain time frame every day, seven days a week. Summertime tended to have more later shifts than anything. This year, uh, we expanded the team numbers and we expanded our hours of operation starting earlier in the day because we live in a beautiful place. It's warm and human beings come here because it is a beautiful place, whether they live on the streets in a house or a condominium. Uh, and the people who do, you know, select to sleep rough, as it's called, out on the streets or in our thing, um, we need to get them up a little bit earlier because with the numbers of people, like you said, Alberta tourists, locals, downtown, we need to clean. And we found last year we couldn't do that so as well as we'd wanted to. So summertime is always busy. It doesn't change the way the teams operate. If anything, they're out there more than they would be in J January. Okay. This question is just, and it's for, for Scott as well, are we getting better with downtown and and what i mean by that is we have a it seems like there's a more of a concentration of you know between temporary shelters and and various um i guess outlets for the homelessness to go to downtown are we getting better with with more wraparound services downtown because obviously i i do think that area gets more than its fair share of attention so as such, you know, we need to get more services down there. But are, are, we, are we moving the needle in, in a much more positive way, or are we, it seems like we just can't seem to move the needle at all? <sighs> a collective effort is one of the primary um, formations of the Journey Home Plan, meaning that there needs to be a collective effort within the community to really help get to the place we want to get, which is functional zero. So that has to happen no matter it, how, how quick that meter is going. There has to be uh, individuals not only in the homelessness, homeless serving sector, but also in, you know, business sector in down in downtown in the RCMP, that they have to look at this as this is our collective problem and we need to all contribute at some level. And some will have a much more hands-on primary daily experience like like Mark's uh, association, like that's just going to be what they do. And, and it's going to be, uh, I think, heavier and more difficult for, for them as opposed to those that contribute at an infrastructure level or maybe at a policy level. And so it doesn't mean it's any less important or more important. It's, it's equally important to helping us get to that place. And so, uh, you know, I think we are realizing more and more in our community, one of the things that has the, the city of Kelowna, I think it's uh, Okanagan Indie Band, District of Lake Country, City of Vernon, City of West Kelowna, and Kelowna have been working together in a a complex needs housing uh, for individuals that are, are often the ones we primarily see on the streets, that they aren't just, you know, homeless. They don't have a place to go. They actually are, are homeless as well as they have addictions or they have mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera. And often those are the ones that, that cause, you know, some of the criminality, et cetera, that are on the streets and we often see. Uh, we, we've noticed that as Journey Home and as a city and a collective effort going, hey, we actually have to find housing for these individuals because we can't just put them into a shelter or find them a rental for them to be able to be successful because they won't be and they'll just end up being back on the street. And so I, I think all of these pieces contribute and at times I feel it for all of us watching from the outside it feels slow it feels like really is anything happening at all like I haven't seen anything exactly right and and at some places it is slow it, it is but at others it, it it's moving far greater and far better similar to what you shared 
about, you know, how your team has evolved on the street. They actually go, hey, we can participate in a better way. And, and Rick, as your story said, hey, I saw them respond. They didn't respond to get out of here. Get, you know, they responded generously and they responded kindly. And to me, that's growth. That's moving. Uh, in, but it's a different metric, right? It's not the metric that we're, we're all going, okay, just get those people off the street. Well, the labeling is really easy. And that's what's happened. And this has been talked about for about three years now out in the open, but it seems that the message gets lost, kind of what you were saying, is though there is a portion of the homeless population that are unhousable right now because they don't fit within the models that have already been created, like the new uh, supportive housing out on Ellis, Mm -hmm. which is for people who have made that decision, I want to get there, I want to change my situation, and I want to be able to have my own place, like the rest of us, with a big screen TV to watch the Leafs beat Montreal. So, (laughs) you know, but there are those six, those three that you experience every day, wherever you are, that kind of label everybody else. I was just going to mention that, that you know, it seems like there's a first name basis with with you know that, and it's it's a small amount of people, but I mean obviously there's again addiction or or mental health issues, and they're very loud, they're very boisterous. You can almost you know set your your watch to some of them, and, and when their outbursts are going to come, that does have to get a little bit frustrating though. That we have, you know, clearly they need they need help. And, and they seem to be the same names and faces, you know, going along. And, I mean, after a while, it just seems like, can't, can't we do something? Like, is there a little bit of that hopelessness with, with that element? Uh, there, there sure is. And, and, you know, I think, again, the community has responded. You know, so it's the rapid team that we have with a registered psychiatric nurse and a police officer that partner together. And, and they're able to respond to a lot of those situations. And instead of just, oh, we're just going to throw you in, into jail for the night to keep you there so you're just out of the public or, or send you to the hospital because we don't know what to do with you, they can actually respond and they often know these individuals and can actually check in on their meds, check in on their, uh, their safety, uh, make sure that, that they're in a place where they can be served appropriately. And so, uh, you know, I think we have those pieces and those building blocks started. At the same token, you know, often these individuals are known within the sector. One of the things the the sector's been working on, and by sector I mean the the homeless serving sector, is is a by names list. And the by names list is a list of individuals that we can collectively know together. Right now, BC Housing, you know, um, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association, Kelowna Gospel Mission, all have names of individuals, but we aren't able to share those names out of confidentiality. We honor people's confidentiality and privacy appropriately. So, we are working together to go. How can we? share uh, a by names list to best serve individuals and know so that we go, oh, hey, we, we know the same James, you know, or whatever. We know the same John when it's, you know, you didn't know that before. Now we can serve better. And that's part of what happens here as well with some of these individuals. They go from place to place to place and everybody's doing whatever they can do, not realizing, oh, we're going to be better together if we understand that. So it's little pieces like that that will help reduce the same things happening again and again. Well, you know, it's I think, though, to your point, the building blocks to try and rectify that, there's a new one every year, yeah. isn't there? We, we started Coast, which right. is the hub table where all different organizations in the city will put names forth to this committee, and they, they kind of look at it, and they figure it out, and then they f- 
figure out which of the agencies are appropriate to deal with the person who's in difficulty and they go off and they put a game plan together and often they approach that individual within 24 to 48 hours. We've had that here for about two years now. Um, brought to Canada by the assistant manager of bylaw services here in Kelowna. So, and now they're all over the country. Then this year, we've added integrated court, community court, which has only just started operating within the last two weeks. So now you, the way the hub table worked is once they were gone from the table because of the privacy concerns, you didn't know what the outcomes were. Or if the person's going, unless they come back to the table. Now, perhaps once they've gone there, or they go from integrated to there, whatever you know, whatever direction that works, at least those individuals need the help are being addressed. And not only that, too, though the hub table model helps uh, address people before they get there. And and none of these steps are really simple. That's the problem. If yeah. it was simple, we would have done it already. And you know, like the integrated court, it's it's been talked about for years upon years. And then in the task force, like I remember, at almost one of our very first meetings, uh, Teresa Arsenal uh, brought it up and was talking about the integrated court. Well, it's it's years later before we could actually execute it because there's so many factors that play into it and so many important steps to take so it's done right. And I think that's probably the best thing in this season that I've found compared to maybe some hopeful uh, outcomes that were in years past in the city of Kelowna to, to try and solve homelessness. I feel in this season, the right steps are being made, even if it takes longer, because we're all wanting to make the right decisions this time. Not, not a hopeful one that sounded really great, but had no chance of rolling out. This, this collective effort really has a chance of doing what we hope it's going to accomplish. The fact is it just may take a little time. It doesn't mean things aren't happening behind the scenes. It doesn't mean every day, you know, Mark's crew is in, on the street just loving people and taking care of people. It, they are every day. We just don't see it. And, and, and uh, for us to call and walk by that once a week or once every month downtown and point a finger, that's not the right way to do it because we're not seeing the whole story. And I think that's part of what we're learning is there's a bigger story and let's contribute to that story so that we can get to the end that all of us want to see, including helping that individual that's, uh, you know, sleeping on the street or creating a mess on Leon to get to a place where we can all be a better community. So uh, my question is for people listening that, that do want to help Mark there, and maybe this is for Scott too, but I mean, you mentioned, you know, early on in our conversation that uh, people are dropping off love seats and sofas and, and I mean, that's not well-meaning. Yeah, right. I mean, well, that's just it. Is there it well-meaning, is well-meaning. <laughs> they're well-meaning, but obviously there's different ways to help. And, and is there, you know, for people wanting to do more, uh, is there, in your eyes, a, a better way than obviously, you know, giving money to somebody uh, standing on the street? Or, like, how would, you, how would you tell them to, how is the best way to help? First of all, uh, Kelowna Gospel Mission always needs volunteers. They do fundraising every year. They have a great staff there. Um, so if you really want to help out, go knock on the door and ask Carmen and her team how you can help out. Um, there's also other ways that we can help, maybe you know, the term that you use, move the needle. Um, we need people lobbying both the provincial and federal governments to actually pay attention to this and quit leaving it on the laps of local government. Because, you know, we're not really... None of us in this room or the people who run the city are kind of equipped to do this. 
police aren't really trained to deal with mental health, or at least they haven't been up until now. Um, so, you know, I think that's the way to help. Donate where you can. Canadian Mental Health Association, they have such a big role in this. And also realize that just because there's that one person you've seen downtown or in Rutland or in Pandozi, because, you know, homeless people are everywhere, that has a mental health issue that is yelling or screaming or making it scary for your kids. I mean, I've had those personal experiences with my, one of my grandsons. So uh, you can't paint the whole canvas with that one brush because those people are such a small portion of what homelessness is about. Mm-hmm. True. Um, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. You have some exciting news. It's like for... clickbait before, Rick. You were like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we... Uh, for... Drum roll. Now, when, when is this... Uh, after, right? give, give people some idea of, of dates and maybe if they were part of it last year, what are some of the changes uh, for downtown? Because I think this is, uh, you know, this is a big news for downtown. Yeah, it's uh, last year, as everybody's aware, we closed Bernard, the city closed Bernard from sales up to St. Paul. And so it starts at the 200 block to the 500 block. So closer to the lake where most of the restaurants are was pretty busy. Because of COVID-19 public health order and restrictions, we couldn't animate 400 and 500 uh, like we would have liked to, which would be the DKA's role in that, along with the help from events at the city. So this year, uh, the events department is taking over what is now been dubbed and officially named with its own logo, soon to be revealed. Whoa. Uh, I'm excited. I can, I'm on pins and, and needles. needles. <laughs> Meet me on Bernard. Meet me on Bernard. Yes. Okay. For all intents and purposes. You personally, Mark, or like in general? Come on, meet me on Bernard. I'm right in the middle of it. So <laughs> come on down. We'll have coffee or whatever. Uh, and then. Uh, so what's happening now is because of the change in uh, with it moving over to events and with having gone through one year where we put it together really quickly, uh, 400 and 500 blocks are going to be really super animated uh, from parklets that will be there, some entertainment. We know now, literally 24 hours later, that we can do it, that Festivals Kelowna can arrange for it. We're even going to have one of Festivals Kelowna's pianos down there. We're going to dress it up with some artwork. We're going to hopefully have some demonstrations. Uh, There's going to be on-street games like paint checkers and that right on the road so you can take the kids down and play checkers. We'll have lots of rest areas as well as cleaning stations. And we may even have some pretty funky artificial intelligence stuff that works with your phones. That's really cool. Now, for those who don't know where the four and 500 block are, where is that downtown? That's from Pandozi to St. Paul. Or if you want to use landmarks, it's from Mosaic Books up to where they're building Brooklyn. So, and, as well as the kind of closer to City Park there, that, that blocks. The yeah, one, right, now we, yeah. right now we have uh, the restaurants have their patios out onto the parking pads. Now, when the city closes the street on Monday, June 28th, so that they can set all this up, they'll start moving that fencing that's there right now back out to where it was last year in the two lower blocks, 200 and 300. And then when they get to 400 and 500, the walkway actually switches from the north side of the street to the south. So there'll be lots of stuff for families to do, which is really important. Uh, The parklets will be really neat because they're little benches with whatever. I haven't even seen 
I've seen artist renderings, but I haven't seen the actual ones that have been built yet. When you mention the uh, the animation, all I can think about is is as a as a young dad, and you know, you you are just literally on scanning mode to find something that will f- entertain your child, even just for a half an hour while you sip your ice cap or whatever. And I I can't believe like the. The young dads listening to this right now are going, I'm totally going there, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to just have a moment to myself. Because it sounds like a lot of fun for, for families and, and just a lot of activities, so that's very cool. You know, it'll. You know, I think what's going to happen is it'll kind of build as the summer goes on, because there's three days to set it up. So there'll be things going on. We're going to have selfie stations so you can take pictures with the family. As to the AI stuff, you know, if you're worried about your kid, just give them your phone and have them hold it up to the artwork, and they'll be there for half an hour while you finish your ice cap, whatever you want. Or places to go and sit down and have an ice cream cone or, you know, those kinds of things that will happen. It's funny, last year, most people are downtown, still tended to stick to the sidewalks, which was funny, and wait for the light to turn green to cross Bernard. You know, it's just, we're such creatures of habits, like Pavlov's dog kind of deal. But I, with the public health orders lifted, it's just, you know, and we get a lot of talk about this is for the restaurants. It's for everybody. And, you know, the restaurants bring the traffic down that walk into the retail stores, and that'll spill out onto Water Street, down Ellis, over to Lawrence and Leon, where we have a bunch of great businesses that just aren't on Bernard. We'll give them opportunities for those who want to come down to use some tents for a weekend, you know, if they don't sell, if they don't have their shop on Bernard, they can come on over. We had a couple do that last year. We'll do it again this year. So great. I know many are wondering, would... Uh, will will the banishment from last year from Rick being on those streets be in place again this year just for insured safety? It's um, apparently under study right now, okay, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, just all I know is, Scott, you don't have to bring your selfie stick down to uh, <laughs> Bernard this year, which is exciting. I've got a spare, <laughs> just all in right. case. Uh, thank you, I think, to Scott Lanigan, and thank you so much, Mark, for sp- <laughs> sparing some time for Absolutely. us. I do appreciate it. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening in on the Homeless in Kelowna podcast. If you have feedback, reach out to us via email, rick at tempestmedia.net.